You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. It's all about you. Your love is fierce, strong. It's a love that reaches down in the sin of our life. And it makes something very precious because of your grace and because of your mercy. And Lord, there's not a one of us in this room that could stand before you in our own righteousness. It's nothing but filthy rags. So Lord, we give you all the glory for you alone are worthy. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us through your word. And we will give you the glory, dear Lord, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can be seated. There have been times here lately where our worship has been of the degree that when I come up here to preach, it becomes then a struggle for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not like you. I'm not getting ready to relax and sit back now and hear a message. And I'm giving everything that I have when I worship. I'm singing to the top of my lungs. I'm worshiping. I picture me before the Lord. And uh, it's always a great time to me, but it also sometimes can become difficult afterwards to, to really sense the Lord's leadership and what to preach. So today I feel like the Lord may be leading me in a different direction, and I pray that uh, you'll be sensitive to that. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And let me, let me, let me go ahead and, and, and kind of prepare you and get you ready because Luke chapter 15, the Gospel of Luke, Luke um, is, a, is a physician. He is a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He is a man when he's writing the Greek, when he's writing this, this uh, letter, which is to a dear friend of his, a man by the name of Theophilus. Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus and, and he's trying to help Theophilus to understand the life of Christ and to put it in a chronological order. Now, what is critical to Luke is this, that he does it and puts it in its historic perspective, that he puts it within history. Now, when we come to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 is perhaps the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. In fact, I'll say this, I believe that it is. Because in this, in this story here, in the life of Jesus Christ, we come to a pivotal moment when he's under the attack of the religious community or the religious establishment. In other words, religious people, church people, uh, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these people. They are not happy with what Jesus is doing at all. And so in Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, I want you to see this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what you have here is you just have a crowd of people that are just, they are just 
flocking around Jesus. He is like a, he is like a magnet of people. People are coming everywhere. Men and women, boys and girls, young people, old people, teenagers, senior adults, everybody's coming. Some people are coming like the, like the woman who came and, and reached out and touched the hem of, a, of his garment. She wants to be healed. Other people are coming for various reasons. Some are coming to be healed. Some are coming for their lives to be touched. People are just pressing in from every single direction. Now, the religious people don't like that. They get upset about it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they become, they, 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 they're distraught, they're, they're upset. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, listen, I, I, I don't understand this man because he seems to be welcoming sinners and he's not only welcoming sinners, he's eating with them. And I have a hard time with that. I always told you years ago, we had a, a lady that worked in a bar here, the Hill, and... Um, she worked down here at this bar. She began to come to church. We visited her in her little trailer there. She began to come to church. She eventually gave her life to Christ one Sunday night on a Sunday night service. She looked at Sheila and I. She said, I want y'all to come tonight and eat with me. Eat here at the, at the hill where the hill's a bar. She said, I want you to come to the hill and I want, to, I want you to eat. I want you to meet my boss. I want you to meet some of those other people. We went down there that night. Emily went with us. Sheila and I and Emily went. We walked into this bar and sitting in the middle of that bar was a table set with place settings and I think with a flower on it in the middle of the bar. We walked in. She came out from behind that bar. She said, oh, I've been waiting on you. And she came. She sat us down right there in the middle of that bar. But before she did, she said, hang on, I want to introduce you to everybody. And she began to walk up and down that bar, people drinking, her boss, different people, and saying, I want you to meet this person, that person, this person. And, 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 and she was just so excited that we had come. And we sat there and she said, uh, we have fixed a steak for you. They grilled us a steak back outside that bar. The bartender, the owner of the establishment, had cooked these, listen, the best steak I've ever eaten in my life. At the end of that, when Sheila and I got up, she just hugged our neck. Other people hugged our necks, and she said, I am so thankful that you came. Thank you so much. It's been a real treat. It was such a treat that that's one of the fellowship times that we will never forget. Jesus was with sinners. The Bible says he was not only welcoming them, he was not only inviting the crowds, he was saying to the leper that was off to himself, he was saying, come here, come here, you come here, I don't care, you come, come now. And people were coming everywhere. They were just gathering around him, pressing in on him. Religious people didn't like it. And so what Jesus does is he begins to tell this story. Now, real quickly, he tells three stories. Each of them are intriguing in and of themselves, and we could spend a lot of time, but I want you to see these stories. I want you to pick up in Luke chapter 15, verse 3. It said, then Jesus told them this, told them this parable. Now, the word parable, parabaleo, means to see something. It's when Jesus takes a spiritual truth and he puts it next to a picture or an analogy that we can understand. Parabaleo. I want you to see something. I'm getting ready to teach you a truth. So what he does here, he says there, uh, suppose, well he says here, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. 
Does he not lead the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus tells these people a story that every one of them understood. You see, what would happen is a lot of times in a community, the shepherds would kind of join together, they would put all their flocks together, and they would go out and they would graze them on the hillsides, and often they would spend the night and they would stay with their sheep, and eventually they would come that moment when they would bring their sheep back in, and they would do it, it was almost like a community event. And so what would happen is the people would gather and they would get excited because, because the men were, the shepherds, the men were coming back and they were bringing this, this conglomerate or this, this, this group of sheep, all different flocks coming together and they were all coming back into the community. And so everyone was waiting and people were waiting. Wives were looking and looking for their husbands. They were looking for maybe their son, their older son, and they were looking for their shepherds, those that were a part of their family. And as they began to come in, Women were running, they were greeting their husbands, they were gathering around the flock. Flocks, it was a celebrated time. It was an exciting time. But there would be that one wife, she would look and she would notice her husband's not there. Where is he? Where, where, where is he? And the other shepherds would say, well, he, he's still out there. There's a sheep that is messing. When we begin to get the sheep together to count them, we notice that one was not there. And so he's gone to search and this shepherd would begin to make his way and walking across the hillsides, looking and weighing and watching and looking at every particular place, trying to find that sheep. And eventually, what Jesus said is he would find that sheep. He would find that sheep. He, somebody was looking. Let me ask you something. Are you looking? Are you looking? I looked at a young man yesterday in a coffee shop and said to him, that man behind that counter right there is hurting. He needs somebody to look for him and to find him. Are you looking for people? Or have you grown comfortable? So Jesus said that there came this moment. Every one of these people understood this. Because eventually what would happen is the shout would be made in the community, He's here! He's here! And a celebration would all of a sudden, people would begin to run to the fringe, to the peripheral, to the edges of that community, and there would be that shepherd, and he would be coming, and wrapped around his shoulder at times would be a wayward sheep. Now let me tell you, sometimes when a shepherd had a sheep that wandered, you know what he would do with that sheep? Strange. Sometimes when a shepherd that had a sheep that had just habitually wandered off, he would finally take that lamb and caressingly, lovingly, he would take the leg of that sheep and he would snap it. That sheep would well out, whoa, and begin to cry out. And the shepherd would then take that sheep's leg and he would make a splint and he would wrap it up. And then he would take that sheep and he would lay it across his shoulder and everywhere he went, that sheep was with him. 
Paul said, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye, which are spiritual, restore such a one. The word restore there in the Greek is the word to set a broken bone. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Are you looking today for anybody? Are you searching? Sunday school teachers... Are you looking for the members that haven't been there for a while? Staff, are you looking for lost people? Staff, are you looking for people that haven't been here in a while? Are we looking? The shepherd would come and there would be that sheep. That sheep might have a splint leg because that shepherd may have finally done that. You see, A.W. Tozer said it, Well, I doubt God will use a man greatly until he breaks him deeply. Some of you, God's going to break you to get your attention. That's what he's doing. And so all of a sudden a shout goes out. Here's the shepherd and he's coming in with that, with that, that sheep wrapped around him. Now the people, they're not litter. Listen, they're not running back, back into the pasture, into the enclosure, celebrating over the 90 and 9. A strange thing has happened here. They're not even thinking about the 90 and 9. They're all excited that the one has been found and is coming back. And it's a celebration. You see... Jesus loved the Pharisees. Oh, he loved them. And you know what he was saying to the Pharisees? Why don't you come rejoice with me? This is what the kingdom is really all about. This is why God chose the nation of Israel. He didn't choose them to be a covenant people, isolated to themselves and sit around and gloat over their position. He told them there to be a nation of priests that will go out into the world and invite the whole world to come to him. So they're celebrating. Jesus then says there's another story. Look with me. In verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one of them. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, and she says, rejoice, rejoice with me. I've, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A girl, when she was young, would have like a dowry. She would have a necklace. That necklace was made up of ten coins. And the point was this, is that, 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 was, that was a picture of the promise of marriage. It was, a, it was, a, it was like a, years ago when people used to have a hope chest and, they, and a woman in hopes of one day getting married would store away things. This was an investment. This was an identity. This was a part of who the woman is. And one day this woman gets up and she puts this, she puts this necklace around her neck and she looks and all of a sudden she begins to, oh no, there's a coin missing. It's incomplete. It doesn't look right. There's nine coins. There's one. Oh, God. There's a coin missing. Oh, where, where was I? Let me see. Last night, last night I took it, I took it off. I know I, I know I put it somewhere. God. Oh, God. Look at the broom. She starts kicking the broom. She's sweeping every little crevice, every little spot. She's down on her hands and knees. Oh God, where is my coin? I look ridiculous to you. Some of you never do this to lost people and they're all around you. 
You never mention the name of Jesus. He longs for some of us to be down on our hands and knees. Oh God, where is he? Where is she? If it were your son or your daughter, your husband, your wife, I bet you would care. She looks. And finally, she's looking. Oh, God, thank you. Hallelujah. She jumps up. She begins to shout. She takes and she begins to put it on that messing spot on her necklace. And she cries out to her neighbors. She goes out into the street. She says, come, come quickly, come quickly. Hold up, you come. I found it. I found it. I found it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My mom lost the diamond out of her ring, her wedding ring. I'll never forget that. She was in the kitchen. Oh, she just screamed out, just this cry. We thought something was tragically wrong. We went running in there. What's wrong? And she was just crying out, oh, no, no. My ring, my my diamond is gone. Oh, kids, help me. We were searching. We didn't really see the significance of it. So what? We've got enough money. We'll buy you another diamond ring. But that diamond ring meant something to my mom. And finally, the shout of despair became the shout of joy. All of a sudden, we, were, we weren't really looking. It didn't matter to us. It wasn't important to us. That's like some of us in this room. Lost people don't really matter to us. Oh, we're looking, but we're not really looking. Because who cares? But all of a sudden, my mom shouted. And she just began to pray. She had a worship service in the kitchen. She began to praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, she said, here it is. And she called us in there because she said, I want you to see this. It was laying in the sink, in the bottom of the sink, and the sun was coming through the kitchen window and it was illuminating that diamond and it was sparkling in that sink. And she said, there it is. Then he comes to verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Tired. Tired of living on this farm. I'm tired of living in this life. I can't stand you, Dad. I don't want to be around you anymore. I'm tired of my know-it-all brother. I'm sick of this. Give me my inheritance. I want to go. Let me leave. I know you're not dead yet, but I'm entitled to one-third of the inheritance, and I want it now. So the father divided his property between them. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. 
he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, men, have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'll set out. I'll set out. I'll, I'll go back to my father, and I'll, I'll say to my father, Father, I, 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 I've sinned against you. I, I, I know that now. I, I, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, and, and I'm no longer, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but but make me like one of your hired men. If I could just be a servant in the household. So he practiced that speech and he fine-tuned it and he got it ready. And in verse 20, Jesus said, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was, a, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. If you're not a parent, you will never understand some of the attributes of the Father God until you're a parent. If you are someone here that is parented a rebellious child, then you will understand almost the deepest, most deepest parts of the compassion and the heart of God. And even in the midst of the pain and hurt that you may be going through, understand this. You understand a dynamic of the love of God that most people in this room will never understand. If you have had to experience adultery in your marriage, then you will have experienced the deepest level of the heart of the Father, of the heart of God. Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees. And what he's doing, he's saying to the Pharisees, I need you to help me search for people and I need you to join with me here. Jesus now is talking about the Father because that's really what it's about. Son came, sat down, told his father, said, Dad, I'm tired of this. According to the Jewish law, you owe me a third of the inheritance. I know you're not dead yet, but I want my cut of it because I'm ready to go and I'm ready to get out of this situation. He takes a third of the estate. The father accrues a third of the uh, of marketed value of the, state, the estate. He takes one third of the estate. He gives it to the youngest son. The scripture seems to say as if he did it willingly. The son then begins to liquidate the assets. He puts it in a, in a, in a, in a, in, in a form that he can get, take and he packs his stuff up and he is gone. He is out of there. I don't even think he bothered to look back. Let me tell you the scene though from the porch. The father and mother of that son, their hearts were breaking. Oh. Any parent that's ever been here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, God. All you can do is pray. And nothing you can do. 
Honey, there's, I know it's all right. It's all right. I know it's all right. Come here. All we can do is pray. God, he's in the hand of God. God, God will, God will send somebody. Days, weeks, Months, year, two years. Father's out working in the field, but he has a habit now. He has a habit of looking. Oh, if you've not been there, be careful. You that are so judgmental right now, be very careful. You don't know yet. You have no idea what it's like. Stops, he looks across the field. It's a practice he does every day. She comes out, she takes that towel, she's been in the kitchen, she comes out and she looks out across there. She, she's looking for a boy through tear-filled eyes, looking for that son. Oh God, bring him, God bring him home, bring him home. Finally one day, father's out, he stops like he always does and he looks, he sees a figure coming, coming across the horizon, he, he looks for a moment, he, Smile kind of begins to turn up the corner of his mouth. He, he notices that walk is different. I know the walk of Ledge and Jeffrey. I know the walk of Amy and Emily. I know my kids. I can see them from a distance. I know their cry. I know when they're hurting. I know when they're happy. I can read in their voice. I know everything there is to know about my kids. I know them so intimately, so personally. He knew his son. He, he looks and all of a sudden he sees that, he sees that walk. That walk is... That's him. Honey, honey, come out. That's him. Oh, God. He goes running for them old robes. He's just running full speed. The servants stop. All oh, the entire estate comes to a standstill. She comes out and she comes out off to the porch there. She's wiping her hands. She looks out across there and she says, she said, oh, Lord, Lord Jesus, that's him. And they're just running. Oh, they're just running out into the field. Are you running, looking for anybody? Do you even care? Son has rehearsed. He's rehearsed every part of it. He said, I'll say to my father, I'm, I'm, I'm no, I know I'm, I'm no longer... No, I've wasted a third of the estate. I threw it away. I'm, I'm no longer, I'm, I, I, I know I, I, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I, if, if I could just be a servant, if you just let me be a doulos, a servant. Just let me be a servant, a slave. A slave in the father's house would be a great place to be. Oh, that's what I, I'll tell him that, I'll tell him that. Oh, there's, there's the four. There's, there's home. There's, there's home. He's, he's in the field. I'm so filthy and dirty. Oh, 
Oh, Dad, no, Dad, no, 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 Dad, don't hold me, I'm filthy, no, no. Bring, bring that robe, you know that robe. Go get, the, go get sandals for his feet. You, you, go get the ring. Oh, here comes your mama. Here comes your mama. Oh, son, we love you. Oh, we're so glad you're home. Come on. Come on, son. Oh. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. Was lost. He's been found. So they begin to celebrate. But the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother, your brother, your brother has come home. killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. I've spent my life. I've spent my life in church work, teaching Sunday school, doing this, doing that. I've read my Bible every day. I've prayed. I've tried to do the right things. And this person who's lived a rebellious, defiant life comes to Christ and we're supposed to open our arms and receive them? Not hardly. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this brother of yours, but when this son of yours, notice the language there, it's not his brother, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's not fair. Oh, son. You're always with me. You don't think Jesus loved the Pharisees? You dog ear that page and circle it. He loved them dearly. He's talking to the Pharisees. He said, you are always with me. And look at those next words. Everything I have is yours. You know what he said, son? It's all yours, the entire estate. Everything's, everything's yours. You can do with it what you want, son. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and now he's found. I've told this story a lot of times, but you bear with it one more time. Years ago, Sheila and I were in Orlando, Florida. Kids were small. Jeffrey was about three, about Ethan's age. Ethan is three years old today. He was about Ethan's age. Sheila said, I'll take care of the girls, you take care of the boys. So I had Ledge and Jeffrey. I was outside this massive Walmart parking lot, out in the parking lot where they had set tables up all up and down, and it was a Saturday morning, and this Walmart was packed with people. There were people everywhere. You couldn't hardly find a place to park because they were having a big clearance sale, and everybody was there. This was before super centers. Sheila said, I got the girls, you got the boys. So men, you know what we do sometimes. They had sporting equipment. They had all kinds of outdoor stuff. I was out there. I was looking around, looking around, looking around. When all of a sudden I turned and there's Ledge, but there's no Jeffrey. I said, Ledge, where's your brother Jeffrey? Three years old. Jeffrey's three. He's Ethan's age. Where's your brother Jeffrey? I don't know. He was just here. Every parent who's lost a child understands this. You, for a moment, you, you, you're trying to maintain your composure. Uh, you, you say, Ledge, well, we're what, what, son, so where is he? And you start, you start looking around. You start looking around up under, the, up under the tables, and all of a sudden, as every second, seconds are dragging by, as every second is ticking off the clock, you're becoming more desperate. Your voice is becoming more concerned. All of a sudden, you say, uh, you, 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 you begin to say, Jeffrey, hey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, come here, son. Jeffrey, come here, son. Son, Je- Jeffrey, Jeffrey. And, and, and then it becomes more frantic. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey. And all of a sudden, in, in, a, in a moment on a Saturday morning in a Walmart parking lot, I shut it down. I shut down the parking lot. I stopped all the cars. There was a three-year-old loose now. Stop your vehicles. There's a child lost here. And all of a sudden, the workers, people begin to, people were not shopping anymore. People were not concerned about what they were trying to buy. They were broken out of their frivolous little lifestyles of trivia pursuit. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter about that rod and reel that that man was looking at. He saw a desperate dad, and this dad was looking for a son. Are you looking for anybody lately? You're looking for somebody else's son, somebody else's daughter. You're looking for somebody else's husband, somebody else's wife. Has somebody gone through a tragedy? Where are they today? Staff, do we care about the lost? Deacons, do we care about the lost? Sunday school teacher? Some of you willing to interrupt your life for anybody but yourself? All of a sudden in desperation, I was screaming to the top of my lungs and I was crying, Jeffrey. His name, Jeffrey. I had stopped all shopping. I had stopped the entire parking lot. At that moment, I went into this store on a Saturday morning at Walmart, shut down the cash registers, shut down all commerce by screaming to the top of my lungs, the name Jeffrey, saying, my three-year-old boy is messing. Have you seen him? And all of a sudden, Sheila is coming up the aisle. She hears me screaming, and she's saying, I've got him.
we never look more like the Father than when we're going after the lost. We never look more like the devil than we are when we are not. I know you're tired. I know you think people don't listen anymore. I know you're like Isaiah, Lord, nobody believes us. I know there's part of you that wants to give up. Don't. Because it's somebody's wife, somebody's husband, somebody's son, somebody's daughter. Some of you young couples will understand one day what it means to have children. And you'll understand one day when they're out and they're living in a way that will break your heart and you'll long for a friend or a peer or somebody who will go after them. Some of you are single, but one day you may be married one day, and you may be praying that God will raise up a man who works with your husband to tell them about Jesus. Are you looking? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, and Lord, you've taken us down a different road today. You have, you have taken your word and opened up our hearts. You have allowed us to see the, see the heart of the Father. We've listened, dear Lord, as you have told the story of a lost sheep, of a lost coin, and a lost son. Lord, for some of us in this room, we've become indifferent to lost people. For some of us in this room, we need to go after those that have fallen by the wayside. There's some in this room that need to repent. They need to go after, they need to go to somebody and simply say to them, I was wrong, I hurt you, and I take full responsibility for that. I don't blame anybody. I don't blame my past, my this, my that. They take full responsibility and in tears need to go and they need to say, I am sorry and I want to ask you to forgive me. Will you forgive me? There's some in this room that haven't seen anyone one to Christ in their life in a long time. They quit sharing, they quit sharing you a long time ago, Jesus. They thought being busy about church work was all you wanted. They thought having a sweet little devotional life was the answer. They forgot to, they failed to understand that the kid working behind the counter in a coffee shop is hurting, needs somebody to be nice to him and maybe even to share Christ or to even look at him and say, look, I want to pray for you today. I'll be praying for you. Hope you have a good day. And then leave a good tip. Christian that's stingy and greedy doesn't do that, dear Lord, then forgive them. Lord, I paid with a credit card yesterday. I'll go back and tip. Lord, there are people in this room that quit looking. They quit searching. They thought their job was what's important. They thought their education was what it was important. They thought getting married and having a relationship, they thought having children was what was important. They thought, about, they thought about their retirement. They thought their retirement was what was important. They thought about them seeing the world. That was what is important. But Lord, that's not important at all. What is important is for us to be about the kingdom's work, searching for lost people. His community's full of them. So God, would you, would you prick our heart today?
Would you help us to see a hurting world around us? And Lord, would you raise us up to be search and rescue? To be as my dear nephew was last week or the week before when he was here, Lord, part of the Coast Guard, search and rescue. Would you help us to be a part of that? God, I pray, dear Lord, that you'll put in the hearts of people right here in this room right now that you will put in their hearts the names of those people that they need to begin to witness to. I pray for people that are working jobs that they will realize that that job is their platform to expand the boundaries of your kingdom, that they get an education, that they get married, that they have children, that they have grandchildren, that they get this home, that home, that they do this, they do that for one reason, and that is to see how they can use that to advance the kingdom of God. Work in our hearts, Lord. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, if there's a man or a woman, a dad or a mom, son or daughter, there's a grandmother, senior adult. If there's one here today that has wasted their life, as the Bible says, in riotous living, and they're standing out there in that field and they're wondering, if I come home, what will the Father do? Well, I can tell you what He'll do. Every one of you look this way. I'll tell you what He'll do. He will run to meet you. Father will run to meet you. And I want you to know something. Your debt has already been paid. You see, God did run to meet you. You know what God did one day? As the Shona people say in Zimbabwe, you know what God did one day? God stepped up in heaven. God simply took on the flesh of man, invaded his own creation, paid the full penalty of sin to set every single one of us free. That's why Paul said we're saved by grace, through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me tell you what the Father will do. The Father will run and meet you. He'll forgive you. And He'll begin to, the Bible says He will restore, listen to this, what the locust has eaten. He'll begin to bring order out of that disorder. You may say, well, it hasn't happened yet. Give God time. All things work together. All things, all things, all things. How many things? All things. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Give God time. God will work it out. But first of all, give God your life. And all God's people said to the end of this prayer, let's say it, amen. That means so be it.